0: Whose idea was it for me to preach today? (laughs) Hey, uh, could someone grab me a water, please? That would be very wonderful. There's lots of people going, thanks. Wow, I I don't preach up here. That's bitter, that's bitter. Does anyone remember what my first sermon was on here in the morning, morning sermon? There's chocolate in it for you, if you do. What did you say? You weren't here, all right. No, that's all right. I was wearing a, uh, wearing a uh, Boston Celtic singlet and shorts um, on my first sermon, which is obviously, uh, thank you Sam, not appropriate attire to do a sermon in. Um, so, you know, growth, here we are. After that first sermon, someone came up to me and said, hey, that was surprisingly good. And and that person was on the call team. And my second sermon here, um, I remember Murray Mertens came up to me and he said, it was a a good sermon, but you could have shaved. Um, And so my alarm was set for seven this morning and and I woke up at 6.50 this morning and, and shaved. So guess I finally got there Murray yeah gross or no gross we're going through the series on Baptist distinctives Baptist identity we had John Tucker come down two weeks ago we had Lucy crush um, the talk on worship last week and today and next week we are um, doing two weeks on robust leadership because for communities of faith to thrive in any context there needs to be robust leadership And there are so many styles of leadership, so many successful different styles of leadership that we can see throughout the secular world, we see throughout the wider church. But Baptist leadership is something a bit more unique, because as Baptists, we believe in the priesthood of all believers. That is, we believe that God speaks to all of us collectively. We all have the ability to hear from God, and collectively we come together to discern the mind and the will of Christ. And that takes a special type of leadership. It takes one that is marked with humility, with harmony, and patience. Leadership that is as much about listening as it is about leading. You listen to God. The leaders listen to God. They listen to the congregation, to the congregation listening to God. And, And then you lead a little. And then leadership listens some more. And we lead differently to other denominations in that way because it is together as a community with each other in community that makes it work. It takes us all together to make it work. It takes the pastors and the elders to make space to hear, to give time to hear. And then it takes the congregation to to pray, to speak, to have confidence that what they are hearing is what Christ is saying. And then the leadership discerns, they sum up, they present, and they act on it. And it's all done together. And if one of these parts doesn't happen, there'll be very little movement. If pastors and elders don't make space and just make massive directional changes, the congregation will be left behind or confused or disenfranchised or worse. But if the congregation doesn't respond, if the congregation doesn't engage, doesn't pray, doesn't attend then it's that much harder for the leadership to discern. I think this is why Paul reminded us in his first letter to the Corinthians of our value, our differences, our value in our differences, and our interdependence on each other. He writes, we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I am not part of the body because I am not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God put, us, put each part just where he wants it. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you has a part. Each of you is a part of it. Robust leadership recognizes the parts of the body, the importance of how they work together. Each part of the body recognizes the part that you have to play, the gifting that you all have, the unique abilities that are contained amongst this group to do the work that God is calling you to do. And one of the hardest parts about ensuring robust leadership is having good leadership transitions. Transitions are times of change that are inevitable, because if things stay the same, then there is no growth, there is no forward movement, and so while today is maybe sad, maybe causing a bit of anxiety, maybe a bit of the unknown ahead, and then whatever you guys are all feeling, (laughs) embrace the unknown, because change is good. Your pastor here, she is amazing, your elders here are phenomenal, and God still sits on the throne. And knows the good work he has prepared in advance for you all to do. And so in Scripture today, we are going to look at three times of leadership transitions. And so sometimes I'll probably uh, be speaking to Lucy and the elders. Sometimes I'll be speaking to the people who aren't Lucy or elders. And sometimes I'll just, you know, speak to you all together. But you're welcome to listen to the whole lot. That's fine. Before I start, hey, thanks for taking a gamble on me eight and a half years ago. Um, Fresh out of Kerry. Um, learned a lot, made a lot of mistakes, received almost as much grace, uh, and when I haven't, I've grown. Uh, so thank you, thank you for the gifts today, uh, for the friendships. Um, thank you, sorry, good luck, let's go. And we're ordering this a little bit backwards. I'm going to start with Jesus. I like to finish my sermons with Jesus, because that way when Joel plays, it gets the, you know, everything going together. But we're going to start with Jesus today. In John 3, reread. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time there with them, baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Anon, near Salim, because there was plenty of water there, and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing, and John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met... On the other side of the Jordan River, the one who you identified as the Messiah is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply happy to stand with him. And hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. John was known as one of the baptizers. Probably John's the most famous baptizer, yeah? We can all John's the most famous baptizer. Jesus was a baptizer, but John's more famous as a baptizer. John has his role. And now people weren't coming to John for the thing that he was put on. John Of all people, had the right to be angry at Jesus. He'd stolen his job. He'd stolen his disciples. We read earlier in John's Gospel that some of John's own disciples had left him for Jesus. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God, when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, What do you want? This is Andrew and Simon Peter, (laughs) left John. John lost his congregation. John lost his main job to Jesus, and he responds, he must get greater and greater, and I must get less and less. John knows his part to play in the story. He knows who Jesus is, and he wants his followers to follow Jesus. He doesn't get annoyed. He doesn't get aggressive. He gets less and he illuminates Jesus. He makes sure that the Son of God is the one who is highlighted and revered. How much of how we live, how much of how we lead, is about building up our story, our legacy, our bit to be remembered by. Because that's not the way of leadership in the kingdom. The best leaders, they know who they are, they know their role, and they know ultimately their goal is to point others towards Jesus. He last year you hit the jackpot when you called Lucy. This is what she does. This is who she is. She points towards Jesus. She illuminates him. She teaches about him. She points y'all to look at him. So keep listening to her. Keep following her as she continues to follow after him. The next transition scripture that I want to look at is a, is a transition from Saul to David. But just a snapshot of it, because it's a long transition. And this is a story that we probably know quite well. The story of the giant who was defying the armies of God, who was turning the armies of God into scared little boys, except for one who was the little boy. And the little boy comes before the terrified king. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking round because he wasn't used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Paul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch in his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Saul was king. Saul was a warrior king. Saul knew battles. His men knew battles. They were hardened warriors, but they could not, And they would not go against the giant Goliath. Saul was the king. If anyone, if anyone was meant to go and fight one-on-one with the opposing army, it should be the king. But he was scared. And somehow the young shepherd boy convinced the king that he could slay the giant. Saul's army was stuck. Saul didn't know what to do. King Saul and Saul's army was paralyzed with fear, and David, the young shepherd boy, stepped up. But now Paul, Paul, Paul says, then Paul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. Saul only knew one way. He knew the way of the warrior king. But he could not go himself. And so he dressed David. He dressed David to fight the way that Saul knew how. He tried to impose on David Saul's way of doing things. But this fight, this fight needed change. This battle would be won a different way. Saul's armor dragged David down. He couldn't walk well under the weight of it. And so he went with what he had been given. Himself You are entering a new season, and there are new battles to fight and new ground to win, and you have a great leader. But if you put your tunic and your coat of armor on Lucy, if you put your expectations and your way of doing things on Lucy, she isn't going to be able to walk around. God has called her, and God has gifted her, and God has equipped her for this time. So often when things are unsure or unclear, we hold on to what we know. We do things the way that we know. It's worked in the past, so it will work now. It's not how it works. That's how we suffocate people. It's how we put unfair expectations on them. Don't do it. Don't do it. Lucy, be confident in who God is and who God has made you to be and where God has placed you. Church, when things look a little bit different or are done in a little bit of a different way. Remember the first thing that I talked about. Lucy will be pointing towards Jesus. And remember the second thing, which is the ending of this story. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it, and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Sometimes the old way of doing things is not the best way of doing things. And sometimes it takes someone to say, this can be done another way. Sometimes God brings along someone bold enough to say, let's try it without human armor, resources, and know-how, but let's do it relying on God through His Spirit. That's what Lucy's going to do. That's what Lucy's been doing. That's what Lucy's going to keep doing, keep doing it with her. The third transition today is the one that I think is most fitting, the most relevant now for in terms of where Ham South is and where Ham South is going, and it's the transition to Joshua's leadership. Now, Ham South started as a church plant from Hamilton Central. Uh, It was a plant that was positioned here strategically, even to be called Melville Baptist in the beginning. I think that's right. That's right, eh? Situated in the heart of Melville, in in Montgomery Crescent. And over time, the focus shifted a little bit. Perhaps with changing neighbourhood dynamics, different leadership, different population makeup. But the very neighbourhoods that Ham South was planted to reach are the very same neighbourhoods that when Holly and I moved here, we were told, do not live there. Do not go there. And so we stayed away. Get a house anywhere but in that section. The very same neighbourhoods that we now see Josh and Lucy live in and amongst. The community that wider family and friends warned them about. It's not a good investment for housing. Are you sure you want to live amongst, you know, those people? hope you remember to lock your doors. But Lucy and Josh knew where they were called, and they knew the community they were called into, and since moving in, they've been getting to know the community that Ham South was planning for. Last year, they had a Christmas street party. Now they're looking at ways to help with health and housing and insulation, as we heard a few weeks ago. And they silenced the naysayers and the critics because they know their house was never for a financial return but for a community and a kingdom return. And that takes courage and it takes faith and it makes sure you're listening to the right voices and you have your eyes on something bigger than this world's objectives. When Moses sent out the spies to scope out the promised land, they were still wandering around in the desert. He sent 12, one from each of the 12 tribes. When the spies brought back their reports. Ten of them said it was too hard. There were giants. It was well fortified. We will not be successful. But just two, Joshua and Caleb said it could be done because Joshua and Caleb had their faith in God, faith that God had said, go, that this land would be for these people. Joshua was one of these leaders. Joshua was the leader chosen by God to replace Moses. Joshua was one of only two who had seen the promised land and believed that God would give it to them. Joshua w- was the one that led God across, uh, that led God's people across the River Jordan, out of the wilderness, into the promised land and into the next purpose that God had for them. Joshua saw the giants in the land and he looked past them and he knew what God would give them because he could look backwards, knew that God had provided for them in the past. Lucy and Josh have gone into the land. They live in the land in the neighborhoods that Ham South was planted for. And there are still giants living amongst them. There are the giants of debt, the giants of health and housing, the giants of crime, the giants of a system that warns people like me away from living there. But Lucy and Josh see a bigger picture. They see past the giants. And they look to topple the giants because they know who God is and what he is saying. And what he has said to this church, they know it. Giants, we know, they can be slayed in many different ways. It might be with swords and shields. It might be with slings and stones. It might be with meals and heaters, with neighborhood picnics and community dinners. It starts with God and it follows with people who hear his voice, who follow him, who lead by example and say, come along with us. God is with us. Surely we can do it with him. Lucy and Josh, they have seen the promised land. They live in the promised land, and I think they stand on the other side of the River Jordan, and they say, come along himself. Come along himself. It may look different. It may be done in a different way, but the way results and more people are being pointed towards Jesus, showing people who Jesus are, bringing Jesus to the neighborhoods that this church was planted 60 years ago, to bring and so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was harvest season and the Jordan was overflowing its banks but as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above the point backed up a great distance at a town called Adam which is near Zarathon. And the water below that point flowed onto the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. And then all the people crossed over into the town of Jericho. Don't stay on the side of the River Jordan. Move forward. Follow your pastor. Follow your leader. Point to Jesus as you are going. And point to Jesus to everyone you meet. Love them. Feed them. Clothe them. Laugh with them and cry with them. (laughs) Take them hope and slay the giants together. Look to Jesus, listen to Jesus, point to Jesus.